I'm Joyce Maynard. Welcome back to Telling Your Story. So first, here comes a piece of information. I have not held a job since 1977. I have not collected a paycheck since 1977. I have worked very hard for all those years. But most of the time, I have worked in my house, sometimes in my pajamas, not usually in my pajamas. I actually want to get dressed for work, but I don't get in the car. I don't go to an office. I work at my desk and I have no boss or anybody saying get to work except my own self. So I've learned a thing or two about how to create a disciplined work practice. And in my case, that means a disciplined writing practice and a practice that keeps me inspired. And I'm going to talk about that today. But first, I have to make a disclaimer. Everybody has to create his or her or their own writing practice based on what they know about themselves. So I'll talk to you about mine, and some of it may make no sense at all, starting with the fact that I need to get up really early in the morning. You need to know your body clock. You may not be a morning person. I don't think I could write a good paragraph to save my life after the hour of 8 p.m. because I am a morning person. I could get up at 3 and call it morning and write. I couldn't stay up till 3 and call it night and write well at all. So, number one, know yourself, know your body clock, know when you are at your absolute best and save your absolute best for your writing. So many people write after everything else has been attended to and they leave the hours in which they are least inspired, least creative, and least likely to be productive for their work. You have to make your work a priority, in other words. Okay, what else? You need a space. You need a dedicated space. There are people I know who love to write in coffee shops, however, so my need for a dedicated space might not be yours. But for me, I need to have a chair and a desk and a window. I don't need it to be fancy. The room I'm sitting in right now has an ironing board, actually, and a chair up against the ironing board. In fact, because the ironing board is high, sometimes I stand up at the ironing board to work. I don't ever iron on the ironing board. It is a dedicated space for writing. I like writing standing up, actually, because it requires me to engage my muscles and to use some energy. I don't believe in, for me, once again, these are the rules for me. I'm not going to write well in bed. I'll be too relaxed. I won't be bringing my best, most energetic self to the table. I won't be at the table at all. I'll be in the bed. I've been writing long enough that I remember the days before the internet. And as much benefit as the internet has brought to all our lives, it has also been a huge challenge to the creative process in so many ways because there are always the options and the temptations to leave our work and go Google some interesting thing, look up some video on YouTube, check our email, go see what's happening in the news. And every one of those things takes us away from our own work and our concentration on it. So in the old days, I didn't have to worry about that. The internet didn't exist, or at least I didn't have it on my computer. When it first came out, I was 
very seduced by it. And I actually, for many years, had a program on my computer. And if you feel that you can't trust yourself not to start Googling things and checking your email, it's not a bad thing to put this program on your computer. It's called Freedom. And it actually takes you away from the option of Googling stuff. It turns off the internet. In fact, you can get it back on, but it's just that much harder to do. And it removes a lot of the ease with which people can leave their work and go someplace else. But short of that, stay away from all those other things that happen on your laptop besides your own work. And if you can go to a place that doesn't have internet connection, that's really great. Several times I had a writing residency where I went away from home and dedicated myself to work on a book. And the absolute best one I ever had put me in a studio where there simply was no internet. It's amazing what happens when the option doesn't exist. Good things. That's where I wrote my novel Labor Day, and I did it in a matter of less than two weeks because I was completely immersed in that world, and there was no other world to go to. Short of that, don't check your email first thing in the morning and ask yourself, when was the last time that an email was so important that if you'd looked at it five hours later, something terrible would have happened? Maybe once in your life, maybe never. I know there are people who write to music, who have music playing while they write. I can't imagine it, frankly. If I'm playing music, I'm going to be thinking about the music and listening to the music. But what I do like to do is play music before I write. And I usually create a soundtrack for the particular piece of work that I'm engaged in. It may be music that connects me to the characters. If I'm writing a novel, there was a, a novel that I published a number of years ago called After Her, set in the summer of 1979. And the two major characters were a couple of teenage girls. It was hugely important to me that I listen to the music, the radio music, the top 40 music of the summer of 1979, and I actually landed on the particular song that was a number one hit during those, those months, uh, which was my Sharona. If you'd been um, living anywhere near where I was writing during the stretch of months that I was writing after her, you probably would have heard my Sharona played about 500 times, but never while I was writing, just before, to just kind of get me in the mood of that teenage girl summer of 1979. The father of those teenage girls, actually, who was also an important character in the novel, was an Italian-American man, a very kind of sexy, romantic guy, and I chose Dean Martin for him, and I played a whole lot of Dean Martin that summer as well. I was writing that book. My novel, Where Love Goes, was a real heartbreak novel. It was a, a love story of two people whose relationship was not going to survive, a doomed relationship. And I played a lot of heartbreak, country, Americana country. I actually made a, a, a playlist that I put in the back of that book just because I wanted to, to replicate for a reader the state of mind that I was in from listening to a whole lot of sad Americana country songs. Sometimes it's not music. Sometimes I'll actually just think first. And in fact, always I'll think first. I think it's one of the least appreciated and least acknowledged aspects of the writing process is the not writing process. I have never walked to my desk, put my fingers on the keyboard, and started typing. I first have to consider what it is that I want to do and what I have to say. And because sitting is not the most 
healthy activity. It's not the activity that most gets our brains and our bodies going. I may do that part of the writing process, not at my desk. So I may take a walk. I may take a long swim. I might do some extremely menial task like folding a whole lot of sheets or doing laundry, something that does not engage my brain and allows my brain to go to the work while my body is doing something else. I wish I had the knees to be a runner. And people I know who are runners often say that all kinds of great ideas come to them when running. And sometimes good ideas come to me when swimming. And of course, I'm swimming. I can't write them down. But if they're really great ideas, I'll probably still know them when I get back to shore. I do some kind of corny things. I like to light a candle on my desk. I may have particular images that I want to surround myself by. For years, it was a postcard of Anne Frank, whose diary had been one of the most important reading experiences of my young years. Um, Sometimes it's art postcards from museums, and sometimes it's just pictures I've cut out of the newspaper that haunt me and get me thinking. I actually look at books of photographs, black and white photographs, art photographs, and sometimes if there's a face that moves me, I will imagine that's my character. I like to give a face to my character. And of course, in a book, you don't provide photographs. It's your job as a writer to not need the photographs. But I may study photographs before I write. What else do I do? Well, of course, I have coffee. And sometimes at the end of a writing day, there may be five different half-drunk mugs of coffee surrounding my, my laptop on a couple of disastrous occasions. They might have spilled on it, but I don't do that anymore. So I guess I should say that I'm talking about writing on a laptop. And I know not everybody does. And I used to be one myself who couldn't have imagined not writing in longhand. When I was very young, I had a job as a newspaper reporter in New York City. And I was a metropolitan. I was a city newspaper reporter working on deadline. But I was so attached to my lifelong practice of writing in longhand that even when I was writing a news story on deadline, I would sometimes feel a need to leave the offices of the New York Times, hail a taxi, race back to my apartment to write in longhand, then race back to the desk in the newsroom and type up what I had written on my yellow legal pad. That was not a very efficient way to be a newspaper reporter. And actually, I wasn't a newspaper reporter for very long. I think 13 months is how long I lasted doing that job. Um, And ultimately, I shifted from writing in longhand to writing at a keyboard. And now I can't imagine any other way. But what I can't imagine is writing on any device that you were not absolutely comfortable with. I was teaching a workshop a few weeks ago with a woman who was a really wonderful writer, and she had a terrific story to tell, but she was writing on her cell phone. Well, it's not going to flow that way. It's going to be, you're going to be too engaged in the simple, not simple, the arduous task of typing on a tiny little screen. And you also can't see your words when you type on a tiny little screen. You can only see a few sentences at a time. So I'm going to say that's not very successful. And actually, writing in longhand, if you can't read your writing well, is also problematic because an important part of the writing process is reading your work. 
I do all kinds of things when I'm alone writing. I act out my scenes sometimes. I, I imagine how a person moves and I try to replicate it in my solitary room. I sometimes speak out loud and I want to feel absolutely free to do that. But I also go back over what I've written again and again and I need to be able to see it. Okay, now I'm going to get to the tool that is second only to my laptop as an essential writing tool. I sometimes think I should have started a company to create this tool because I have convinced so many writers over the years of the need to own one. It's a whiteboard. It's nothing fancy, it's not expensive, although I do urge you to get a big whiteboard. The same as a little iPhone screen doesn't work, neither does a 12 by 16 whiteboard. The whiteboard that I use at home covers most of a wall. In fact, I did one time try to buy some whiteboard paint and just cover the wall with whiteboard paint, but it, it didn't work well enough. I think the wall wasn't smooth enough. But I like to have a whiteboard. And the first thing that a whiteboard does is it makes you stand up, it makes you get away from your desk and move your body, which is a big thing for me, to be active. I always say about the whiteboard, my father was a painter and I grew up watching him paint and it's a very physical thing, painting, as opposed to typing. It's a very small, unimpressive action. But when I stand up at a whiteboard, I have big sweeping strokes and I, I can take up a lot of space and I can scribble like mad. I can, I can write really fast and really sort of violently and ferociously if I want to. What I don't do on the whiteboard and what I don't do ever when I'm writing is make an outline. What I do is scribble down without editing myself every thought that comes into my head of things that I want to put in my story. If you've been listening to a few of these podcasts, you know that I, I take a dim view of just sitting down to write and having everything pour out without giving it thought. But the place where it can just pour out without giving it undue thought and consideration and editing is on your whiteboard. So if I've got a story to tell, I will scribble down what I call the elements, just little images that I want to be sure to remember to include in it, things people said, moments that I want to capture. I don't try to put them in any kind of order, but the result when I have a nice full whiteboard in front of me is that I am no longer staring simply at a blank screen. I have what is for a writer the equivalent of a palette full of colors for a painter. I can pull individual images off of phrases, words, scraps of dialogue and moments and pull them off my whiteboard. Sometimes it's very satisfying to cross them off or erase them as I use them. And by the time my piece is done, my whiteboard might have everything erased, everything crossed out, because I've taken those random bits that were scribbled all across my whiteboard and put them in my story. You know, sometimes when I'm writing, a really telling event occurs. I fall asleep at my keyboard. If that happens, I am getting a very clear signal. It is time to stop working. If my own work is making me fall asleep, what would it possibly do to a reader? This actually hasn't happened in a lot of years. I don't let this happen anymore. But if you are pushing yourself to keep writing when you are exhausted, when you are stressed out, when you are not really into it but you just think you should be writing because you've got some arbitrary number of words you're supposed to create to get down in, a, in the course of a day, you may get those words down 
but I can pretty much guarantee they won't be the right ones. So this may not work for you, but I will tell you what my particular superpower is. And I'll begin by saying that I'm a really good sleeper and I love to sleep. I don't need a whole lot of sleep. I think because the sleep that I get is just so efficient. But when I'm writing, I have a particular practice. I think this has to do with efficiency. I want to see if there's some way that my brain can do something useful for me and for my work in the night, which of course is going to up my productivity enormously. So before I go to sleep, just as my head hits the pillow, I think about what I've been writing. I think about my characters. I think about what I wrote that day, or maybe I haven't written yet, but I think about what I want to write. And I put a bunch of questions in my head of what should happen, who might go where, what might happen to them. And then my brain takes me wherever the brain goes in the night, in all those different levels of REM and other kinds of sleep that I always forget the names of. And not every morning, but a surprising number of mornings, I wake up and discover that there's something that I know that I didn't know the night before. My brain has delivered something to me that nourishes and feeds and inspires my work. The most dramatic example of this that I can give you happened a number of years back when I was, I was at a writing residency at the McDowell Colony, now called simply McDowell in New Hampshire. I had a wonderful little cabin in the woods, ideal circumstances for writing. I didn't have to think about, I had no internet in my cabin, that was one good thing, and meals were brought to me in a little picnic basket every day at noon. At night, I'd get together with other people who were also writing books and composing music and creating paintings all day long, and we'd share our work, but for a good 10, 12 hours a day, I was alone with my work. I had a two-month residency, an amazing gift. And for the first six weeks of that residency, I worked really long and hard on a book that I suddenly realized just about at the point that I got to page 457 was not the book I had wanted to write. It wasn't horribly written. It was probably well-written. It just didn't, it didn't have a fire keeping it going. There wasn't a big engine to that story. Although I didn't physically throw it away because it was on my computer, when I made that decision, I don't think I ever looked at that manuscript again. But I still had 12 precious days left in that residency. And the thought of going home without having accomplished something that I cared about in this place that was so precious to me, that I cared about so much, was really painful. So I tried my little night magic I said a kind of prayer as I went to sleep, let a story come to me. And my last thoughts as my head hit the pillow were of something that I think I've talked about in another episode of this podcast, my obsessions. And some of them were very large, like divorce, single parenthood. And some of them were very small, like teaching people how to make a good pie. And then odd stories came into my head as I was about to drift off to sleep. I thought about a correspondence that I'd had some years before with a man in prison during a very lonely and hard time in my own life. I thought about my sons who 
were at that point older than teenage, but I, I thought about having been the mother of teenage sons and I, and being at a point in my life when I, I had my own romantic longings while living in a house with boys who were just discovering the world of sex and romance themselves. And I thought about small towns in New Hampshire and I, and I thought about those pies. And Labor Day was coming. I'd been at that residency for all of August and September was upon us. And when I woke up in the morning, the most wonderful thing happened. A story was there in my brain and a character was there in my brain. And he was telling me a story. He was a 13-year-old boy and he was narrating the story to the point where really all I felt I had to do, maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but not a lot, all I had to do was take down what he said. And I began typing like the wind. And the story that unfolded contained all of the elements that I had put into my brain the night before. The single parent living, raising an only child, adolescent son, just turned 13, in a small town in New Hampshire, and taking him back to school shopping, as one does right before Labor Day weekend, and meeting there a strange but rather compelling character with a single stream of blood coming down the side of his head who said, could you please take me back to your house? And she does. And he turns out to be a convict on the run, and they turn out to fall in love with each other and hole up over a long Labor Day weekend. We were approaching Labor Day weekend at the writing residency at the point that that story came to me. And 11 days later, I barely got up from my chair. No, I did get up from my chair. I always have to take a walk and a swim when I'm writing. 11 days later, I had created the novel that became my novel Labor Day. And of course I did work on it afterwards. Of course I revised it. But it came out in this one thrilling burst of energy that I attribute to the head on the pillow exercise of just telling my brain what I needed it to give me and my brain delivering. So I recommend you give it a try. Most of all, I recommend that you listen not simply to my words on the subject of creating a writing practice, but on your own wisdom that comes from knowing who you are and what most inspires you, whether it is being in the middle of a busy coffee shop or being alone in a room, whether it is listening to Dolly Parton or Chopin, what it is that will most inspire you when you find yourself alone with a story that you want to get on the page. I'm Joyce Maynard, and this is Telling Your Story. Joyce Maynard's podcast, Telling Your Story, can be found at JoyceMaynard.com. You'll find a new episode exploring different aspects of the art and craft of writing memoir every week. For more in-depth discussion of the writing process, check out Joyce's classes at CreativeLive.com. Or better yet, join her at one of her in-person workshops. Details on this and much more at JoyceMaynard.com.